We've been in this, uh, um, in this, we started this series actually, in this book of Jonah, um, kind of, so the goal, the goal, the reason why we're reading this, this book that some of us might be uh, uh, familiar with um, is to take, is to attempt to take an unfiltered um, approach to the book of Jonah. Okay, and so I'm glad, I'm glad you're back if you weren't here um, last week. I'm going to kind of do a bit of a recap uh, before we really kind of get going. Um, but I'm, I'm glad you're back this week because this is, this is an incredible book, um, and, I, and I do think it's really worth our time to read it, to take a more thorough, uh, deeper read, more, more thoughtful read of this book. Um, to those of you uh, who were inspired to, uh, after last week to send me links <laughs> or, or pictures um, of your favorite Jonah children's book, thank you. <laughs> What y'all sent me, um, it, w- it was great, and um, I can admit there are definitely some great children's versions of the book of Jonah out there. And so, I guess, and I guess what I mean by that is um, there are actually some more accurate um, children's books to the story of Jonah, at least to the, to the story that we find in the scriptures, as opposed to other children's media, say, like, Talking Vegetables, Right? Okay, and so, yeah, great, I had this up there, had this up there last week, um, because I think that this is, the reality is this, is, this is kind of how many of us have come to be familiar with Jonah, um, and who Jonah is, and so, um, through popular children's media, that's kind of how we know Jonah, many of us would probably consider ourselves familiar with Jonah, because we know him as Jonah, he's the guy that got swallowed by a whale, right, Jonah and the, and the, and the fish, or the whale, depending on, depending on whatever book you grew up reading, okay? Um, so he's that guy. And while that part of the story, it's very true, like we're going to get there. We're going to get to that part of the story. Don't you worry, all right? We're going to talk about the fish, okay? So while it's very much a part of Jonah's story, very much, um, it, it is not the story. And it, not even close. And when, when, it, when this story becomes about the fish, when the focal point becomes the fish, we can easily lose sight of what the story is truly about. So that's why we're here today, um, to continue to unfilter, if that's a word, reveal, um, or, or just take a closer look, de-vegetale this story, okay? The story of Jonah. Um, because the book of Jonah is actually really quite unique um, and disturbing, and, and a challenging, a, a challenge to read. It's a challenging book. I'm convinced it really can only be understood as an adult. And I think it's great that we can like introduce children to some of these stories of the Bible, um, but you really have to be an adult to understand the themes of this, of this story, okay? And so we're gonna kind of talk about that. Um, <clears throat> so the book of Bible, it, the, the book of Jonah in the Bible reads like no other book in the Bible. It reads like no other book. No other book of the prophet, but no other book of the Bible, really, for that matter. It's one of, so for example, it's one of the books of the prophets, um, which is kind of a series of books through, throughout the book of the Bible, or throughout the Bible. And here's the difference. It is a story about a prophet, in contrast to what the rest of the books of the prophets are about, in contrast to the, to the rest of the books, which are an account of the prophet's word, their prophetic word to a people, to God's people. Whereas Jonah, Jonah is about a story of a prophet, not his words. So in that, in that sense, it's very different, okay? It's also, this story reads like if you were to smash, and I said this like last week, if you were to smash a comic book and an SNL skit together, like, that, that's, that's how the book of Jonah reads. It's very interesting. It's very different. Everything is over the top, and no one behaves like they're supposed to, 
okay? Good guys. Good guys are actually the bad guy, okay? And, and the bad guys are actually, they behave like good guys. And the book just ends abruptly with this man named Jonah just being so mad at a plant to the point that he just wants to die. At a plant, okay? And so it's just this over-the-top book, over-the-top book, and all of it is aimed at critiquing the worst tendencies that form inside the hearts of God's people, like hard-heartedness, pride, or as we're going to talk about this week, spiritual apathy or spiritual slumber, okay? So uh, through this story about Jonah, um, who is a character, Jonah, Jonah is a representative character in this story. Through this story about Jonah, he represents God's people, a.k.a. you and me, okay? We find a profound and challenging message for God's people, a.k.a. you and me. Okay, you all with me? All right, great, great. Okay, if you've got your Bibles with you, I invite you to open to Jonah chapter one. Um, and we're gonna pick up again uh, in verse one, like we did last week, but we're obviously gonna, we're gonna finish the whole chapter this time, okay, I promise. Um, so, but, but before we do that, I want to, um, I wanna first, I wanna ask you guys, can anyone recall their drive here today? Can anyone recall their drive here today? Okay, if you drove, Maybe, maybe you didn't drive, okay? But a lot of you can, can recall your drive here today. Um, if you can recall, do you remember the car in front of you? Anybody? Okay, we got one person that does, one person that remembers the car, maybe because they braked really hard in front of you or it did something to tick you off. <laughs> okay, there you go. So, so they, were, they were driving too slow for you. It's weird. I, a lot of my, like... <laughs> I think driving really does bring out the worst in us. Um, so, like, I will continue to probably come back to driving in a lot of my examples in Jonah. Because <laughs> Jonah is the worst of us, um, as, as we'll read and, and continue to find, okay? Um, so maybe, maybe you, you, you can recall something, or maybe the song that was on the radio. Um, is there anyone here this morning who has no recollection of how they got here? Nobody? But you laughed. But you laughed, because I think you know where I'm going. Um, has this ever happened to you before? Have you ever been driving somewhere and then you get to like the park, like maybe it's to work, right? Or to, um, or to school or to pick up your kids from school or wherever you're going, right? And, and you, you get there or you get to the parking lot or you get to like a, a, a stoplight or something and you realize, holy cow, I have no, I, I don't know how I, where was the last three minutes of this drive, right? I don't remember the last five minutes of the, I know I passed Essenhaus, but I do not remember, I know I passed the gallops on my way here, but I do not remember passing the gallops on the way here. Like, it's funny because all of us kind of have experienced something like this, okay? And we're like, wow, I literally have no memory of like the last five minutes, okay? And so, and it is, it's, it's just the strangest thing. I think it's the strangest thing. I am fascinated by the fact that as, as human beings, like it just, it utterly fascinates me that we can do something really sophisticated, like really sophisticated with our body, but be completely mentally checked out, right? And it's, it's fascinating, but it's also really scary at the same time, right? Because you're operating a motor vehicle, for goodness sakes, okay? <laughs> like it's probably the most dangerous thing, like realistically, when you think about it, it's probably the most dangerous thing you do in a day, if, unless you, your, your, your place of work is, is more dangerous than that, more dangerous than, than driving at, at high speeds or low speeds, okay? 
So this, this totally happens to us, all right? And, and it's, it's, it's kind of something where, yeah, if someone breaks or if some, you know, let's say a, person, or a, a deer is coming or you kind of see them in a peripheral, it's like you kind of snap out of it, you kind of come to, okay, but, but not really at the same time, okay? You're, you're awake, but you're also not at the same time in those circumstances. And I, and I actually think this totally happens to us in other areas of our lives, okay? I used to work. At a summer fact, I used to work summers at a factory uh, where we made sealants and adhesives. Okay, and we would actually box and seal those sealants and adhesives. And so all day long, I'd, I'd just kind of take cartridges, I'd stand in front of a, mach- a machine, and I'd, I'd fill them with the goop and, and put the filled cartridges of goop in this little machine that would then cap them. And that, that was what I did. That was what I did for kind of like eight hours of a day. And um, I remember there would be moments in my day where I would like run out of cartridges, and I'd be like, "Holy crap! I thought I just grabbed a, I thought I just grabbed a box. You know, what in the world? I have a whole pallet filled that I now need to wrap up. And I'd be like, "How in the world did I get here? I don't remember any of this. Okay, and so." Like, I'd be doing something, I'd be like, oh, wait, oh, oh, yeah, I'm, okay, yeah, I need to, I need to, the machine needs to kind of get fixed or tweaked or something because these are too heavy. And so you have moments where you kind of, like, snap back to it, right? But then you're also, you need those moments sometimes because it's like you didn't even notice. You didn't even notice that there was something wrong with the machine, or you didn't even notice that you were almost out of something over here. And it's just because you're kind of unaware. You're kind of just in this unaware sleep-like state. You're checked out, okay? I was awake. I was moving and doing, but I also really wasn't awake at the same time, or I wasn't aware of what was going on around me. And I also think um, this happens to us. It obviously happens to us most often in parts of our lives that are kind of routine, right, or dull, or just kind of uninteresting uh, to us, and so, yeah, we just kind of mentally check out. Um, but I also think this, this isn't just how some of us work, this isn't just how some of us drive or mow the lawn, because it happens to me too, right? I think this goes much deeper. And I think that some of us might actually live sort of perpetually, perpetually in this state of disengagement. And so it's like how you live. It's just how you live. It's kind of you live like this for a majority of your life or like say, you know, 70, 80, 90% of your life. And then, you, and then you kind of come to and you're like, oh, holy cow, where did the last three months go? Oh my goodness, is Halloween already? Holy cow, Thanksgiving's right around the corner. What in the world? What in the world? Okay, well, I guess I better order a turkey and, okay, whatever, keep going. I think that's how some of us feel about our lives. And I think that's how some of us are in our spiritual lives as well. Like we're a Christian, right? We're, we're a Christian, perhaps we've been a Christian for a long time, and maybe, maybe some of us um, ha- have, have even like just, that, that's our lives, that's been our whole lives. Okay, but at some point, at some point, and maybe even early on, maybe early on, there was some vitality to it, there was like a richness to it, right? Like where, where you felt like there were, you were aware and awake to what Jesus was doing in, in your life and in, in your heart, like reading the scriptures, it still spoke to you. Prayer, prayer was still meaningful to you in your life, like it still, that still felt like some, a way you were connecting with God. And then somewhere along the lines, at some point, all that just kind of fizzled out. And now you're just kind of cruising, autopilot, whatever, right? You'd still totally, you'd still totally say you're a Christian, right? That's still something you would totally say, right? But like the love's gone, so to say, right? The love's gone or whatever. And we're often left wondering, 
How, how and why did that happen? And there are lots of reasons why this happens. Lots of reasons. Sometimes it's just seasons of life. Okay? Sometimes it's seasons of life. Eugene Peterson, um, he, he has this awesome line. He's the, he's the guy that, that, that wrote the Message Bible. He has this great line. He says that following Jesus is, a, is like a long obedience in the same direction. Following Jesus is like a long obedience in the same direction. Because he, like, like all of us, are, are very aware that life is not always this like, exciting, like, thrilling thing. <laughs> okay? Like, we know this. But there's also something real that has been lost when we don't sense any sort of vitality to our connection with Jesus. And so sometimes we get to that point through seasons of life, right? It's, just a, it's, a, it's a season that, that we go through. But other times, other times it's through decisions that we've made. Whether they're big or small, right? Or, or, or they're bad or poor moral decisions. And we know, like we know they're compromises. We know they're things that we shouldn't be doing, choices that we shouldn't be making. Um, and, we, and then we kind of find, we find ways to justify them, right? That's, we're really good at that. I'm really good at that, okay? And so we kind of find ways to justify them. And then like we find ourselves three months later, like how in the world... How in the world did I get here? What happened? And it's not rocket science, friends. It's really not. It's a slow process of decisions that landed you at a place where I would just, I would call spiritual apathy, spiritual slumber, a, a, a state of spiritual slumber. And all of a sudden, things that you never thought you would be doing or saying or thinking are a part of your life now. And, and you're wondering, how did I get here? And this happens to all of us. This happens to all of us. In Jonah 1, Jonah 1 is a portrayal of this idea of spiritual apathy or, or slumber or being asleep spiritually because this idea of being asleep is actually a really big theme in Jonah chapter 1 and, and the tragedy that it is, not only to us but to the lives of those around us, okay? So I know this like isn't the most uplifting idea, all right? I'm aware of that, but what can I say, all right? It's like someone telling you to eat your vegetables or something. I don't know, like it's got to be said, <laughs> You should eat your vegetables. If you don't eat your vegetables, come on. Come on, eat your vegetables. I don't like cauliflower, but I've grown to like cauliflower. It happened. I don't know how it happened. Just little times I had. Cauliflower rice, actually. And those, like, we can really get off topic on cauliflower, but there are certain ways to make it so that your kids will eat it. All right, that's not the point. We're getting all veggie-tailed on us. All right, we're going to start. Here we go. Jonah chapter 1. We're actually going to, we're going to dive in here, okay? <clears throat> so, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Right, you guys? If you were here last week, you know what to do? Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, so that, if, when you see that, and, I, and I, I forgot to put it, I forgot to put it in some, some of them today, but whenever you see that, like, we should laugh at this, and we should laugh at this because, because two things, two things, um, actually, I want to start here first. Whenever you see the word LORD in all caps like that, in all caps, so if you've got your scriptures and you see the word LORD in all caps, that's God, that's, that's not the word LORD, um, that's the author putting in God's divine name, that's, that's the word Yahweh, that's, that's God's name. Okay, that's his personal name. And so whenever you see the word Lord in all caps, that's, that's Yahweh. Okay, that's what's written there, and the author has just kind of replaced it with Lord. Okay, second, <clears throat> yes, you're laughing here. You, you should be laughing here because Jonah means dove, which, uh, which is just kind of a, a um, it's symbolic of, of innocence, okay, impurity. So more, more like innocent one in Amittai, son of Amittai means son of faithfulness. 
So innocent one, son of faithfulness, and we kind of chuckle at that. This is silly because Jonah proves to be like the least innocent and least faithful one of the story. Okay, and so we're kind of, ha ha, that's funny. All right, <clears throat> so let's keep going. Um, God, <clears throat> God says in, chapter, in verse two, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And so here you have God being displayed as like this, this king overseeing his kingdom. And he sees, he sees what's going on. He's surveying the land and he sees the horrible acts of oppression and injustice and, and just violence that these, these Ninevites, this Assyrian, the capital of the Assyrians, these Ninevites are performing on people. And he just says, no, that's, that's got to go. Okay? And so he sends a messenger, innocent one, son of faithfulness. All right? And, and what does he do? What does he do? Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. (laughs) Yeah. And again, you're you're supposed to laugh there because Tarshish is is the complete opposite direction of of where Nineveh is. But we'll get there in a second, okay? He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Okay, now I want to pull up that, that picture again. Yep, let me laugh at that because can you flee from the Lord? No, you can't flee from the Lord. Okay, all right, and Jonah should know that. Jonah should know that. So, okay, so here's this, here's this map. Okay, now um, Jonah, it's, it reads here in, in verse, uh, verse 3, it actually says it right there. He went down to Joppa. That's important because he started just north, northeast of Joppa, and he, went, he had to go down to Joppa in order to board a boat to get to Tarshish. So that's, that's important for where we're going. And Tarshish, again, it's just the complete opposite direction of, of where, he's, where he's supposed to be heading. Okay? All right, so he first heads down south to Joppa, and then he goes down to Joppa, and he gets on a boat to flee, and here we are at verse 4. We're picking up in verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. The ship threatened to break up. And this is kind of another comic moment in the story here, uh, because, and we don't really get it in our English Bible. I mean, sort of, sort of. Um, but really what's happening here is the ship is portrayed as a character. The ship is portrayed as this comic character in the scriptures where it's like the ship is, the ship is literally pondering whether or not it should stay together or break apart. And so you have, again, it's, just, it's kind of this moment. It's the author. It's the way the storyteller tells this to kind of bring us in, bring us into the story. Okay, it's supposed to be something that just invites us deeper into this. Okay, so there's a great wind, a violent storm arose, and the ship threatened to break up. The, the ship wondered, oh, it's kind of a big storm. Maybe do I, do I stay together or, or do, I, do I fall apart? I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not really entirely sure what I should do here. Okay, and all the sailors, verse 5, all the sailors were afraid. And they cried out. They cried out to each to his own God. And they threw their cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So here you have these sailors, okay? These sailors who are terrified at the storm, okay? And this storm, this fierce storm that is, that is making this ship question its own ability to, to, to navigate the seas like it's supposed to, this fierce storm, this is how Yahweh is pursuing his man. This is how Yahweh is pursuing his prophet. Like a fierce storm, Okay, and the purpose of the storm isn't at all to bring harm to anyone else, but it is a depiction of God's fierce love. Like a parent, a parent's fierce love chasing after a child who is heading into a busy street. 
who is heading to their own demise. That kind of fierce love. And, and remember, we have to grasp the big picture here, okay? The big picture here is God wants to send Jonah to do what? He wants to send Jonah to speak to the Ninevites. He wants to speak to them in order to, to offer them redemption. And from that, forgiveness and then life. God's mission, God's mission is to reach people and rescue them. That is what is pursuing Jonah. This is not a storm that God's using to bring ruin because of disobedience, but a fierce love chasing Jonah, like trying to grab a child from the street, tugging their arm. No, it's a fierce love chasing Jonah. And so you've got these pagan sailors. They're terrified, okay? They're terrified. They're throwing their cargo overboard. They're throwing their livelihood overboard. They're throwing all their money, what was going to make them money, off the ship to lighten their ship, okay? Because the storm is so bad. There it goes. There goes all their money. There goes everything else. So they're doing that. And what else are they doing? What else are they doing? What else are the sailors doing aside from throwing their stuff overboard? They're praying. They're praying. To whom are they praying? What does it say here? Okay, they're praying out each to their own God. Okay, because they come from, they come from a, a worldview that is uh, polytheistic. Okay? They're praying each to their own God. What's interesting, though, is that these... <laughs> These pagan sailors, they're awake enough to recognize that this is not a normal storm. That something very strange, something very powerful is going on here. Okay, and like I said, they're, they're a part of a polytheistic society, okay, meaning that there are many gods, there are many gods that you could pray to, many gods that you could tick off who would want to hurl a lightning bolt at you, right, or something like that, okay? And so, so you have these pagan sailors, right? They're kind of taking like this shotgun approach to prayer, Okay, hey, you, you, get, you get this one, all right? Chase, you get this one, okay? You, uh, Megan, you get the other one, okay? Like, each, everybody, pre cry out and pray to your own God. Okay, maybe, maybe we'll hit the right one and, and, and the storm will relent and, and we'll be good to go, okay? And so you have these sailors praying, these pagan sailors. They're praying, and what is our religious prophet man of God doing? What is he doing? But Jonah, Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So here's where this motif, this kind of theme or thread through this book really shines. Okay, because where does Jonah's, where does Jonah's journey to Tarshish begin? Okay, it begins with him heading down to Joppa, right? We read in, we read in verse three, uh, he went down to Joppa and from there he went aboard a ship to sail to Tarshish. So he goes, he goes down to Joppa. He goes south down to Joppa. Okay, and we read he goes aboard a ship. Well, that word literally in Hebrew means to go down into. So he goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the ship. Okay? And then from there, he goes where? He goes below deck. And what does he do? He lays down and he falls into a deep sleep. Can you see the imagery that's at play here? Can you see what the storyteller is, is, is trying to get you to recognize and see? Okay, you've got these pagan sailors. Are they asleep? Are they sleeping? No, they are very much awake, right? They are freaking out, okay? They're afraid. They're throwing their livelihood overboard, all right? They're, they're, they are very well aware of what is going on, okay? They're awake and alert to what's happening around them. And Jonah, where is Jonah? He's slowly descended into a literal but also spiritual slumber. And how did he get here? Well, the author tells us, okay? 
the author tells us. Jonah decided that he knew better from God. Jonah decided he knew better from God, so he runs. And he didn't run. He didn't run because he was afraid, right? We kind of learned that last week. He ran because he hates Ninevites. He ran because he doesn't want to see his enemies experience redemption and love and grace and forgiveness and mercy. He doesn't think, he thinks the world's better off with the Ninevites who don't experience redemption. And so he runs. Jonah has a plan and a vision for his life that he thinks is better than what God has for him. And so you begin to see where this takes him. It takes him down and down and deeper down into a numbed out, checked out state of spiritual apathy. Jonah's sin and continued poor choices Okay, kind of distances him from God and then, and then down into a spiritual slumber where he's just like completely blissfully unaware of what is going on around him, right? He's sleeping for goodness sakes, okay? It's like he's just unaware of what's, what's happening around him and what's happening to others around him. Who suffers as a result of Jonah's spiritual apathy? Who suffers? The sailors. How's Jonah doing? Jonah's doing great, right? Jonah's asleep. He's fast asleep. He's sleeping like a baby at the bottom of the ship, okay? But you've got these sailors, these sailors who are very awake and, and, and just terrified at what is going on around them, okay? Things are not going well for these guys. They're doing whatever they can possible to keep the ship afloat, and I think this is very insightful for us as the reader because total, Jonah is, is just absolutely, totally unaware of how his sin is affecting the lives of those around him, okay? He thinks he's doing just fine, but he is absolutely unaware of the utter calamity that he is bringing upon these poor sailors. His sin has led him to become this like relational wrecking ball in the lives of those around him. And he's so dulled, he's so dulled by his apathy that he's just, he's totally checked out. He's asleep, literally. And I think this is such a profound image of the nature of sin and its consequences in our lives. Is it not? Right? And, and, and actually, it's actually kind of hard for us to see sometimes because I think in our culture we have this very like individualistic view of morality. We do. Like you can, you can make your own choices. You should make your own choices. You do you. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone else around you, it's totally okay. Right? Do what you want in Jiminy Cricket. Let like, your conscience be your guide. Right? And so what happens is you have this, you have this kind of, we have this, this, this view like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Okay, because those are your private personal decisions and they don't involve anyone else and no one can tell you what to do or no one can say that's wrong for you because you should be able to do whatever you want. We have this very privatized, individualistic, moral worldview. Or if it's right for you, it's right for you. You do you. And Jonah 1 just completely exposes that idea. Every single one of our choices, every single one of our decisions, our, especially our moral decisions, absolutely do affect those around you or they will. Because every decision you make is forming you, it's, it's, it's forming you into a person, it's forming who you are as a person, and it's also forming your character. Like water dropping into a bucket. Eventually that water is going to overflow, it's going to fill up and overflow into the lives of those around you, good or bad, it's going to have an effect. And so what Jonah 1 is exposing for us is how someone becomes a wrecking ball in the lives of those around them. Okay, and it's through, it's through a thousand small moral compromises. Through a thousand small decisions. What was at first just a private decision between them and God all of a sudden wreaks havoc in the lives, in their own lives and in the lives of those around them. And then we wonder, how did I get here? It's the tragedy of spiritual slumber, spiritual apathy, 
and it only gets more intense. Okay, verse 6. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. Okay, and that's, this is kind of funny. This is ironic. Okay, because maybe, maybe Jonah's God will notice them. Did Jonah's God notice them? Absolutely. Like the very reason they're in this like, predicament is because Jonah's God already noticed them. Okay, and this is just ironic in so many ways because Jonah, Jonah is like this, this prophet man of God. Okay, and he's sleeping. He's sleeping. And so this, this captain is like, go wake, let's, hey, let, we need to go wake up this guy. Um, how can you sleep? He says to Jonah, get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us. Maybe he will not perish. And it's ironic because you have this pagan polytheistic sailor rebuking, like telling this prophet to do what? Something as simple as pray. <laughs> to pray. It's funny that the, the first people we see crying out to, to gods or to, to, to something supernatural in the story isn't the prophet. Who? It's, it's pagan sailors. Can you see what this storyteller is trying to do, okay? All right, so, um, so that's what happens. And then verse 7, these sailors, they then they, they say to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. Okay, and, and casting lots is like kind of like ancient dice rolling. It would have been a way for them to kind of discern like God's will, okay? Like something like that. <laughs> and ironically, ironically, when they cast lots, who, who does it fall on? Oh, wouldn't you know it? <laughs> it falls on Jonah. It falls on Jonah, which is just hilarious. It's hilarious, and it's actually kind of kind of sad at the same time, um, because it's it's so interesting how. And this is the case, I think, in many of our lives. Like, especially when we see someone who, who says they're something and then they're not. Like, just the hypocrisy there that we see. Okay, and so they ask him. They, so they, they call him out. They're like, Jonah, tell us. They're freaking out. Tell us, who's responsible? Like, the lot was cast on you. Obviously, you're the problem. Like, who is responsible for, for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? And I love Jonah's response. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This, <laughs> it's rich, is it not? It's rich. Jonah says, I worship Yahweh. I worship Yahweh. And we're sitting here like, no, you don't. You don't worship Yahweh. Okay, this is rich. What is this? What is happening here? This is like religious baloney at its finest. This is like the peak of religious hypocrisy. Why? Because we can see that his words and his religious confession of faith are incomplete. They're in utter and complete contradiction to the choices that he's been making through the story, right? Just a complete contradiction, okay? And us, us, as we're, we're into this story, we're reading this, and we're just eating this up. We're like, Jonah, how could you say that? Are you serious? No way. You don't worship Yahweh. Look, you're running from Yahweh. There's not a chance you worship Yahweh. Like this horrible, hypocritical man, like we're eating this up. I can't believe anyone would act that way. Like what in the world? I would never, I would, oh wait, oh wait. That's, and that's exactly what the author, what the storyteller is, is trying to communicate. The very moment you start to feel superior to Jonah, you're exactly where the storyteller wants you to be. Oh, really? You think you're better than Jonah? Because you've never had a contradiction between what you say you believe and the way you actually live. Really? Seriously? You must be asleep. You must be asleep. 
Verse 10. This terrified them. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? And the storyteller kind of gives us a hint, right? He kind of takes us back. He's like, he's like, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. It's kind of like, you know, when, you, when you're on a plane heading to a different country or you're, you're traveling abroad and they're like, hey, you know, what are you, what are you traveling for? For business or for pleasure? And, you know, Jonah's response, I'm actually running away from Yahweh. <laughs> and they're kind of like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like, maybe, maybe it's your personal God. All right, whatever, welcome aboard. Like, you pay the fare, come on board. Hello, hi. Okay, great. Okay, and so now they're terrified. And they respond to Jonah, what have you done? What have you done? Because they knew he was running from Yahweh, and who happens to be the creator of the wind and the sea, the creator of the earth and sea, like the one who's in control of all this. And he's running from that person on their boat. What are you doing, Jonah? What are you doing? So they're starting to freak out. And so the sea gets rougher and it gets rougher. And they're asking him, Jonah, what should we do in order to make the seas calm down for us? What should we do? And Jonah's response, again, just typical Jonah, okay? And he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. It will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And I think it might be tempting for us to think, oh, finally, finally Jonah's having a change of heart. Finally, Jonah's realizing that, that his choices are poorly affecting everyone else around him. Finally, right? Maybe, maybe he's having a change of heart. Or maybe, maybe he realizes that this is, that being thrown overboard what does this mean? What does it mean if he gets thrown overboard in a storm like this? What does it mean? Death. He is going to die. He's telling these, these sailors, throw me overboard, kill me, kill me, and the storm will go away. I promise you, I'm the problem. Why would Jonah say that? Where does Jonah not want to go? Nineveh. What would be the most sure way to not get to Nineveh? To die. So it's tempting. We're like, oh, finally, Jonah's, Jonah gets it. Finally. No, he's, he's, he's still, he still knows what he's doing here. He knows what he's doing. And did the, did the, did the sailors, did they want that to happen? What do we read here in verse 13? Instead the, men, instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. And this tells me that another thing happens. Okay, Jonah doesn't real like, th- that's the fact that Jonah's heart didn't change. Because when he says this, right, Jonah could have just said, hey, hey, like, let's, let's go back and, and we'll, go, we'll go to Nineveh. No, he doesn't do that. He says, throw me overboard. And the sailors are like, heck no, we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to try and row back. And they couldn't. They couldn't because the sea for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then it's so ironic what happens here. They cried out to the Lord. Okay, they finally decide it's getting too crazy. It's getting too wild. The sea is crazy. They cried out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. The first prayer to Yahweh in the Bible, or in this story, not in the Bible, in this book of the prophet, is coming from these pagan sailors. And so they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Okay, and what this implies, that's kind of a big deal. Would, would these men like start a fire and, and sacrifice a goat or a cow in the middle of, on the middle of their boat? No. This implies that when they got back, 
This implied, they went to a, a Yahweh temple, a temple that, that worshiped Yahweh, and they, they sacrificed. They, they made a huge personal sacrifice and lit a fire and, and made vows. They took vows to follow Yahweh. It's a huge deal. Okay, and some of us might think, oh, well then, you know, Jonah is kind of doing his job. Absolutely not. That would be the most ridiculous thing to think. But what it does tell you is can, can God, amidst our own, like, amidst our own inadequacies, Amidst our inability to, to, to do, to, to go to the places that, that we might not want to go to, can God still do his thing? Can God still bring people to him? Can God still rescue people? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow, or yeah, a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. This is, a, this is a challenging story uh, for us because I think when we do find ourselves in these seasons of spiritual slumber, when we, just, we, when we don't even recognize the wrecking ball that we are in people's lives and we're like, man, I need to wake up. Like, how do I wake up? What do I need to do to wake up? Well, you could get swallowed by a great fish right? That's the thing. God, Jonah didn't do anything to wake up, as, we, as, we, as we'll come to find. Jonah didn't do anything to come to the sense of, of being swallowed by a fish, because we will find that he later kind of comes to in the belly of the fish. We'll find that next week. God, God's redemption happened to him. Should we be, like, should we be, when we read that Jonah gets swallowed by a great fish, should we be like, yay, he's being rescued? No, he's being swallowed by a fish. Like, that's a, he's going to die in the belly of a fish. Like, that's like the Sarlacc pit in the Return of the Jedi, okay? Like, it's bad. That's going to be awful. He's going to get, like, deteriorated, okay? Like, that's a horrible thing. For, that's a horrible way to die, Okay? And what's interesting is God takes this, this story, this is, and it, perhaps this is why Jesus refers to, like, the sign. You have no other, Jesus says to, to, the, to, the, to the people, to the religious people that day, you have no other sign other than, other than the sign of Jonah. Because what happens in the story of Jonah? God takes this, this fish, this vehicle of death, what should have been death, and what happens to Jonah? After three days and three nights, he gets spat out, and he lives and not only that, he brings redemption to, a, to the worst of people. Can you smell the gospel? It's such a beautiful connection here. So how do we wake up? How do we wake from our spiritual slumber? God does that. That's what God does. He's in the work, in the way of waking us up. I think we need to be in a posture we need to be able to receive it. We, can't, we cannot be asleep. We've got to be, we have to have just a heart that's, we just have to throw our hands up and say, God, I, I don't know. I don't know how I got here or why I am here, but I recognize the things that's going on in my life and I, can, I actually recognize the things that's going on in other people's lives and, and it's not okay and I want to take ownership for that. And I want to recognize that the things that are going on are not okay, but God, I need you. I don't know where to go from here, but I need you. 
And he can, he can work with that. God can work with that. And so this morning as we enter, band, I invite you guys to come up. This morning as we enter into a time of worship, um, I just invite you guys, I invite you guys to consider where you're at spiritually in your lives. Do you find yourself in a season of slumber? And can I just invite you to reflect on the words of these, in the words of the song, prayerfully, and just take a moment just to sink deep into the love, the gracious, kind, and loving, quick to forgive Father that is chasing you, chasing you. Own that. Ask forgiveness and move into, move towards the direction of life that God has for you. I invite you to that this morning. Thank you.